0: If you have your Bibles, we'll be in James chapter 2, looking at verses 8 and 9, James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Thank you to John and the Grace Choir for blessing us with beautiful music and just the, reminding us of the truth of God's word through song, so thank you. And if you have children that are uh, part of the children's ministry and want to um, go there, um, Paul and Katya are waiting outside. You can follow them out. And your parents can walk them. It will be downstairs uh, in one of the rooms. Um, so if you want to do that, um, the opportunity is now and throughout, but now would be the, the better time. <laughs> yeah. I will read the passage for us, then go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get into this these two verses. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have called us and saved us, that you're continuing to do a work within us. Thank you that you have prepared works for us, that we would walk in them. We pray that we would now focus our attentions to your word, where we find those instructions, where we do find how we are to order our steps, that we would walk in wisdom in a way that brings you honor and glory, and that uh, communicates and represents who you are to those around us. We thank you for this time. Would you be glorified through... Um, your word being preached and through the application of your truth to our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Titled this message, The Law of Love, The Law of Love. So James, again, is about our sanctification. It's about holiness and godliness growing into Christian maturity by the power of the Holy Spirit through God's word. We must be born again. We must have the Holy Spirit... If we are going to live lives that are being sanctified, we cannot be sanctified apart from God's spirit. And so James really focuses on those who are already believers. Now that you're a believer in Christ, how do we live this life according to his word in wisdom? We want to pursue the path of wisdom that comes from above rather than listening to the wisdom of this world because that leads to a different path. And so James focuses on how are we to grow and live as Christians in the world that we live in back then for the Jewish Christians that he was writing to scattered through persecution? And to us today as a church, how are we to live in the context that we live in? God's word is always relevant. We can take the meaning and the context and apply it to today. But we first must understand what it meant to those who heard the, the word from James back then before we can apply it and bring it into our context today. So when we center our lives around god's word and obey his will for us We are living according to how god wants us to live and therefore his spirit works within us to make us more like christ And god's commands are given to us as a gift from him in order to help us know which Way and how to walk We must obey his commands And god's law reveals to us how we are to conduct ourselves how we are to live our christian lives It reveals Um, The good that we are to do it also reveals the bad our sinfulness The law reveals that we're unable to keep god's law. We always fall short of it We don't always obey perfectly and so it reveals our sinfulness and our sinful nature that still remains with us It also reveals god's holy character The law is good holy and righteous because it was given to us by god and the laws themselves reveal his character to us his holiness his goodness his righteousness and it also reveals, most importantly, our need for a Savior. Because we cannot keep the law, we need one who has perfectly obeyed and completed and fulfilled the law in our place. And that's Jesus Christ, the only person who has done that. And so a recap of what we've studied so far. I know we're just in chapter 2, but it's it's been a few weeks now. And we have to understand what, what came before and what is Spoken to us today and even a little bit of what comes after I think it will help give us a better Understanding in in the mind of james as to his argument and what he's laying out for us To learn from and to obey and to grow from so chapter 1 verses 1 through 18 is about Growing into christian maturity by responding rightly to trials trials will come into our lives. We will encounter various trials and the command for us is to consider them joy to consider trials joy. And that might be a new concept for some of us because we complain when trials come instead of find joy and to seek to learn what God is doing, to see trials even as a gift of God meant to strengthen us so that we can persevere under the weight of these trials and become more like Christ, grow in our dependence upon God and his word to live lives that are pleasing to him by responding rightly to these trials. These trials are meant for our good. But we also learn that with trials, there's the, the negative response of, of sin, of temptation, of allowing those things to cause us to doubt God's word, to cause us to blame God for our sin in, in responding to the things that he's bringing into our lives for our good. But we see them as bad things. We don't want this, God. We want to grow in a way that's easier than the trials that you're bringing our way. But God says you cannot blame him. He does no evil and he does not tempt anyone. And so James really challenges our thinking and our living and our application of this truth. Are we really considering it joy when trials come into our lives? Are we seeking God independence in faith for his wisdom to go through those trials in a perspective that helps us to honor him through it in a way that will help others around us see that Christians respond to trials differently? because we have the power of the spirit working within us and we have God's word to guide our steps and to order our steps. And he, James also speaks about riches, whether you have much or whether you have little, poverty or wealth. We are to respond rightly through even that trial or that difficulty that it brings into our lives. Not having much or having too much can cause us to sin still, that we depend too much on the possessions that we have, the wealth that we have, the resources that we have, Or if you don't have much, to to look down on your situation. But God says, in humility, we are to boast in the richness that we have in Christ through faith. We are to constantly focus our gaze upon Christ and what he has done for us and the the blessings and the benefits and the promises that we have eternally in Christ. That is to guide how we view everything that comes into our lives, whether it's financial difficulty, whether it's different trials. Uh, We are to seek to respond rightly to all of it in a way that glorifies God. And down in verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. This is the importance of God's word, the importance of God's truth in making us alive, helping us to see our our condition before and our condition after, the hope that we have that only comes through being brought forth through his word by the power of his spirit. And we have experienced this if you're in Christ. We know the power of the word to work in our lives to transform us. And so we, we, in gratitude and thanksgiving, we give all praise and glory to God for what he's doing. We have to continue to look to God's word, not just we're thankful that God has saved us, but we must continue to depend upon him and his word to continue to sanctify us. Uh, We must continue to worship him through our obedience in daily life. And chapter 1, verses 19 to the end of really all of chapter 2 It's about growing into Christian maturity, being sanctified by responding rightly to God's word, responding rightly to God's word. We are to not just be hearers, but also doers of God's word. Don't just come here with the right intention of wanting to learn and hear from the the teaching of truth, but to take that a step further, to want to apply that truth to our lives because we know that's... The power of God working within us to grow us to be more like Christ. And we know that because we love God, this is what pleases him. Our obedience to him as his slaves, those bought by Christ, to be his servants and slaves in this world. And so this section is really about responding rightly to God's word. And verses 1 through 13 in particular is about responding rightly to others around us, our relationships. We are not to show personal favoritism. We are not to show partiality. We are to treat others as Christ treats us with the same type of love that God has shown to us, especially as Christians who have understood that we are loved with a different kind of love, a love that doesn't make distinctions, a love that we don't deserve. And so this section is about not showing partiality or personal favoritism, And in particular, James is talking about dishonoring the poor and honoring the rich who are oppressing the poor. This type of sin, the sin of partiality, corrupts your judgments. It makes you think wrongly about your relationships. It makes you think wrongly about your position in Christ. It affects a lot more than you think it does. Last week, we learned that it's it's not only not theological, once that we understand election and God's choosing and calling of us, But it's not logical. It makes us insane. It makes us flip everything around as our culture has done. And now we actually believe it. We believe that which is evil is good. And we honor and celebrate it rather than seeing what it really is, sin. And it's the sin of partiality. We elevate something above something else or someone else in a way that God is not according to God's standards or his word. And when we do that, verse 9 says, We commit sin and we're convicted by the law as lawbreakers, as transgressors, those who disobey and violate God's holy law. And so this section really will focus on our hearts and continue to focus on our hearts because that's where God sees us. He judges our hearts, the motives of our hearts. And there from the heart will flow out our behavior, our conduct, how we live, how we love and treat others. So it's really all about the heart. And this section condemns people for judging others, again, based on things that don't matter to God, things that are not according to God's standard or his character, because we're judging purely on the external appearance of people and treating them a certain way based on who they are or what they have or how they're dressed or their skin color. This is not how God judges us. And this is significant because everything that we are as a Christian is to be a reflection and representation of who God is to this world. And how God acts. People are to see Christ in us through how we live our lives. And so James argues that showing partiality misrepresents God so that we would see how irrational it is. It's irrational for us to show partiality and misrepresent God and make ourselves, verse 4, chapter 2, make distinctions, make ourselves judges with evil motives, meaning our heart is divided. We We start to doubt God and we have ju- we're judging people when we ourselves are sinful and we ourselves will be judged as well and so James wants to help us with that as Christian believers how do we respond to uh, not showing personal favoritism or partiality he gives us two commands first one is in verse uh verse 1 of chapter 2 It says do not hold your faith in our glorious lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism do not hold your faith Don't do it. Stop. And verse five, again, um, talking about the same, same command, but reiterating it and really emphasizing it, saying, listen, listen, pay attention, heed these commands, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? And now he will expand on that concept of, do we love him? Do we love him? Because if we do truly love him, we will love our neighbor and we will treat them with God's love. This is a reflection of our hearts. And in these verses, which is within the larger section again of chapter two, verses one through 13, James will take it a step further to show that this is a reflection of our love or lack of love. And really it's our love for God. That's because that's where it begins. Unless you have a genuine love for God, you cannot love others as God loves us, and the way that God wants us to love others, in this sacrificial, unconditional type of love. And so, you are either fulfilling the royal law and doing well, as verse eight says, or you are committing sin and are lawbreakers. Love characterizes Christian living. Biblical love characterizes Christian living. It is a fruit of saving faith. And if you even think of the fruit of the spirit, love is mentioned first because that's the overarching uh, fruit that plays into all the other fruits, the fruits of the spirit. It impacts every other area of our life. It is the fruit of saving faith. It's a reflection of a transformed heart and a renewed mind that does the will of God, that seeks to prove the will of God in their lives. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, You will keep my commandments. You will obey me. Saving faith is demonstrated through our love for God first and foremost, and consequently and necessarily our love for others. And we grow into Christian maturity as we love God, and therefore we will love others by obeying his word, thus fulfilling the royal law. So in these verses, James refers to the royal law, which we'll get into what that means. James refers to the royal law so that we would see how showing partiality violates the law of love. James refers to the royal law so that we would see how showing partiality violates the law of love. We will see this contrast between fulfilling the law and breaking the law. First in verse 8, fulfilling the law. Again, verse 8 reads, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing Well, as you're sitting there, think about these these questions in your own life and your own experiences up to this point in your life, whether it was before Christ or, or after coming to Christ. Have you ever been looked down upon? Have you ever been overlooked? Have you ever been favored based on external appearance or external criteria? Have you ever been treated differently than someone else? Because of what you look like or because of what you do or because of what you have or because of how you're dressed. Have you ever felt that feeling of, of someone saying something hurtful because of your skin color or your ethnic or ethnic background or external appearance? Have you ever felt judged in that way by someone else? Just purely based on what you see on the outside. For most of us, I would say that's yes. And multiple times in our lives we have felt that. And what does that feel like? Does it feel good? Or does it not feel good? So if you know that feeling, why would you show partiality? Why would you treat and hurt someone else and injure them in the same way? If you don't like it yourself, you don't like it when people do that to you, why would you do that to someone else? You are too Love your neighbor as yourself, James says. James says in verse 8, if you if you really keep, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, then this is true. You are loving your neighbor as yourself, and therefore, you are doing well. And to fulfill means to carry out, to accomplish. What does it mean to carry out or to accomplish the royal law? What is the royal law? Royal means belonging to the king. And we see this connection in chapter 2, verse 5, with this idea of belonging to the king or this kingdom. Verse 5 says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? The royal law is the law of the king. It is the law of his kingdom. It is the highest law in regard to how you are to love and treat others because of his love for you and your love for god james is emphasizing the importance of this law of love within the entirety of the whole law especially in regards to showing partiality this is speaking about the entirety of the law of god which this love command is a part of that was revealed to moses and then fulfilled in christ and we see that in the context even the next verse that we'll look at next week verse 10 For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. Talking about the whole law there. James also makes reference to the law, the entirety of law, in chapter 1, verse 25, calling it the perfect law, the law of liberty, which he does again in chapter 2, verse 12. The royal law is the law of love upon which hangs the entire law. James is using this quote, if you look at verse 8 from the Old Testament, found in Leviticus 19, verse 18, where the Lord, Lord spoke to Moses for him to speak to the people of Israel and say to them, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And within that same passage in Leviticus 19, it also speaks about not showing partiality. In verse 15, it says there, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. And so we see it in the Old Testament where those two concepts of loving your neighbor and not showing partiality is in Leviticus 19 and also here in the New Testament in James chapter 2. James is using this quote to help us to see that this love still applies to us. We are still to love our neighbor as ourselves, And in Christ, in the New Testament, that definition of neighbor even expands to include those who are aren't even believers. We are to treat them with the same type of love. We are to treat them fairly. And this same verse is cited by Jesus, the messianic king in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40 says, teacher, what, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And this is also quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, where it says, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This one law of loving your neighbor as yourself fulfills all the other laws because it encompasses all of God's laws concerning our relationships. This says you won't do anything wrong, harmful, evil toward your neighbor if you love them like you love yourself. In other words, if we treat others with the same care that we have for ourselves, with the same concern that we have for ourselves, our comfort, our happiness, our peace, our joy, as we do for our own selves, we will not violate any of God's laws in regard to our relationships with each other. Matthew 7 verse 12 says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Do also to them. Pay as much attention to them as you do to yourself so that you're always loving. You're always seeking what is in their best interest. You're always treating them as they ought to be treated. Galatians 5, verse 13 and 14 says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, Serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fulfillment of the law. However, love is never said to be a replacement. Love is never said to be a replacement for law in Scripture. Love is what the law commands, and the commands are what love fulfills. And love for God compels our obedience to his word, obedience to his commandments. The evidence of our love fulfills the law because it affirms what Christ has done in perfectly fulfilling the law, that it has become our fulfillment as well, as seen in our loving obedience to his truth, to his commandments, in the way that we live our lives with love, by loving God and therefore loving our neighbors as ourselves. Commandments are like the railroad tracks on which a life empowered by God, by the love of God, runs. And love empowers the engine, and law really guides the direction of our lives, the path that we are to take. James says, you fulfill the royal law, the law of the king, when you love your neighbor as yourself. This implies, again, the first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is evidence of saving faith, because faith expresses itself through love. If you just think about the Ten Commandments, the first four are related to our love for God, this vertical relationship, love for God. The last six have to do with the horizontal relationships, love for others. It's all about love. Love is the fulfillment of the law, love for God and love for neighbor, love for others. First John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 1 John four nineteen we love because he first loved us. In verse 21 there, and this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. We are to love one another, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ within his church. We are to also love our neighbor as ourselves. And again, we have to ask, who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? In Luke chapter 10, Verses 25 to 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus defined neighbor to mean any needy person whom God gives you the opportunity to help. Any needy person whom God gives you the opportunity to help. In that parable in Luke, it says, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by. saw saw him He felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own breast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. A neighbor is referring to anyone whose need you are able to meet. A neighbor is referring to anyone whose need you are able to meet. And so the solution... To having an attitude of personal favoritism, of showing partiality, of making distinctions among yourselves, making yourselves judges with evil motives, is loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself. James says that if you are fulfilling the role law of love, notice the end of verse 8, you are doing well. Doing well because you are loving as God loves and as he wants his children to love and demonstrate that love in this world by loving others. You are reflecting and representing God's love when you love your neighbor as yourself. And in contrast to this, we see in verse nine, breaking the law, breaking the law. Verse nine says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors or as lawbreakers. Showing partiality violates the law of love. It violates the law of love. You're committing sin. And the word used for commit comes from the word for work. You're working sin. You're manufacturing sin. You're promoting sin, and it's in the present tense. So every time you show partiality, you are working sin in your life. You're promoting it. Sin is being emphasized here, which is disobedience to the law and disobedience to the lawgiver. It's disobedience to God himself. And James says you are convicted by the law as transgressors. So the ruling is that you are a discriminator by showing partiality, by showing personal favoritism, a lawbreaker, and you have dishonored the highest law possible in relation to how you're to treat others, and you have injured and treated someone in a way that is inconsistent with the way that God treats you and the way that God treats them by showing partiality. In other words, the law exposes, it shows you your fault. And it convicts you, the sinner, showing them to be a sinner who has violated the law of God as a lawbreaker. So when you break the royal law by showing partiality, you are breaking the law of the king that really encompasses all of the other laws concerning relationships, the entirety of the law. James is saying that this is not just a small thing. It's not just a small thing. When the royal law of love is not being fulfilled, then it's as if you are breaking the entire law because it has to do with your love for god it first has to do with your love for god and so when you do not love your neighbor as yourself you're breaking that first and greatest commandment of loving god in the following verses james will explain the connection with judgment when it comes to the whole law and why it is necessary that we use this law of love as a way to guide and direct and live our lives which will reveal either a genuine faith a saving faith a faith that works works itself out in the way that we treat others and love others as ourselves, or a false faith, a, a faith that is dead, that has no works. And we'll see that in chapter 2, verses 14 and following. Having a a heart that is willing and wanting and longing to obey out of love characterizes the attitude of genuine believers. But understand that it's not just a love for God and love for others. In verse 9, we see... The importance of how we view sin yes we are to love our neighbors as ourselves as we love god but verse nine focuses on sin genuine believers also have a hatred of sin they have a love for god and because they have a love for god they have a hatred for sin and james points that out in verse nine you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors we have to keep both of those things in mind yes we are to love our neighbor as ourselves but that love doesn't mean that you love their sin You don't love if they're continuing to break the law. You don't love them if they're disobeying God. You lovingly speak truth in their lives by pointing it out, exposing what the law is already exposing in their hearts, making that reality uh, evident to them that they are breaking God's law by offending his holiness. And because they are doing that, it's sin. We should have a hatred of sin. Yes, we are to love our neighbors ourselves, but we are also... To love what god loves and hate what god hates and god does not love sin So we must have a hatred of sin and that really comes from understanding the gospel It comes from understanding the gospel and what christ has done for us We are all guilty We are all guilty of breaking god's law because we cannot obey it perfectly God's holiness requires perfect obedience to his law. We are all guilty of breaking god's law not just in our actions, even in our affections and thoughts, we sin against God. It's clear that we are all sinners. We all fall short of his perfect glory and standard. We all sin because we're sinners. But the good news is that the law is meant to bring us to the end of ourselves. Recognizing that you are a lawbreaker is God's grace in your life. Yes, it's bad news because it tells you that wages of sin is death. You deserve God's condemnation and wrath for eternity in hell. But because the law exposes that which you might not know otherwise, it points you to the only solution that you have in life for hope. It points you to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who can stand in your place and who has obeyed the law perfectly so that if you repent and believe in him, You will be saved and his perfect obedience to the law will be credited to you so that you can be justified, legally declared righteous before God based upon what Christ has done. Because if it was based on what we have done, we would rightly deserve his punishment. We would go to judgment knowing what we will receive. But now, as we read in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he has kept the law in our place, lived the perfect life in our place, died in our place so that those that believe in him, will receive the forgiveness for breaking and violating God's law and this law of love, because Christ has done it all for us. And he resurrected, showing that it satisfied God's wrath and his punishment for our disobedience to the law, for our breaking the law. And he rose again on the third day, showing that he had victory over sin and death. If you repent and turn from your sins and your self-righteousness and thinking that you can get to God by continuing to obey the law, by thinking that you can save yourself from what you rightly deserve, you must turn from that sort of thinking and believe, trust and faith in the person and work of Christ. That is the only way of salvation. And in Christ, believers were made to die to the law. In Christ, believers were made to die in the law in the sense that we are no longer We no longer have to meet the qualifications in order to gain acceptance with God by perfectly obeying the law because we cannot do that. But Jesus perfectly obeyed the law for us. Again, he did what we could not do. He met all the demands of the law on our behalf so that he not only died for us, but through his death, through his body being delivered over for us, his body was his life lived here on earth in perfect obedience to the, the law of God. He also lived for us in our place. Therefore, in Christ, the demands of the law are fulfilled because his perfect righteousness was given to us and all our sins were given to him and paid in full, completely and fully. So now we are no longer under the law, having been freed from it. We are no longer under the combination that the law brings, but we are still responsible to obey the law, now under grace, out of love for God and neighbor, freed from the burden of keeping the law in order to be saved, and freed to reflect and represent God's love by fulfilling his commandments to love him and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the fulfilling of the royal law, according to the scripture, is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The gospel frees us to love in a way that God loves, to love others in a way that God loves. And we are to reflect that through our lives, thus revealing a genuine faith, a faith that works out God's spirit lived in us through our obedience to his word, through our obedience to his law. And really, it's, it's a heart issue because if we love God, we will obey his commandments. That is a, a statement of fact. It characterizes a born-again believer. If you love him, you will obey his commandments. And of course, we know we can't do these things perfectly. He has given us the spirit to help empower us to do those things, but yet we are still responsible and accountable before God with how we live our lives. We still must pursue holiness. We still must walk in obedience to his truth, to his word, to his law. And one law is given here in particular with this sin of showing partiality. It's it's to walk in obedience by loving God and loving his people and loving all people, loving our neighbor as ourselves. As we see the need of those around us and we're able to meet them and we're wanting to meet them, to serve them, to show them the love of God in Christ, then we will meet those needs. We will treat them fairly and rightly. And so as Christians, James calls us to not show personal favoritism, but rather to show God's love to this world. And that comes through loving our neighbor as ourself. visible evidence through how we live our lives as Christians, proclaiming the truth that God transforms our lives and that our love is even different than the love of this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, would you use this message to impress upon our minds and hearts the importance of your love for us and therefore our love for you and our love for others and how it is to be evidenced and expressed and demonstrated that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, to treat them with love, with Christ-like love, and not to elevate anyone above anyone else, not to show partiality or make distinctions, but to treat others as you treat them to show your love to them and that would that help others to see that this love is different that the love that Christians show and demonstrate and live out is different than the love that this world promotes that this love is a love that is a sacrificial love that was ultimately demonstrated on the cross by your son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate act of love on our behalf, saving us from our sins, from what we deserve. And so would we rejoice in that fact and the hope that we have in him and see our lives as a reflection of that in how we are to obey you. And that means that we love you and how we love others. Would you prepare our hearts to remember the death of your son upon the cross on our behalf and his return for us as we uh, take communion and would if there's any sin that we are um, is actively present within our lives or things that are hindering our fellowship with you, would we come before you now and lay that before you in your throne of grace, knowing that you call us to confess and that your word uh desires for us to do so and that you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we may partake of this. A communion meal together in a way that is worthy and honor and honoring to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.